Hello and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier with Donna G. Coming up on today's show, later on, my conversation will be with Gord, who is a longtime supporter of The More the Merrier and CIUT, and he'll be sharing his reaction to the recent passing of actor and politician Glenda Jackson. And up first, I'll be speaking to the founder of Film Market Access, Kirk Cooper, another longtime supporter of the More the Merrier and CIUT, and he is involved in the film industry, and I wanted him to come on to the show and share his uh, thoughts about the recent Cannes Film Festival, and also what Film Market Access and its delegates were doing at the festival in this wonderful setting. But up first, a track by Malika Tirolien, and it is called Rise. Don't go anywhere. CIUT 89.5 FM, The More the Merrier with Donna G. Ça fait si longtemps qu'on Comprends sans cesse des détours. Now we've arrived. On ne peut plus prétendre être sourd. Et si une pèse bien trop lourd, we rise. Yeah. Avant on les jugeait sauvages. Pensez avoir tourné la page. Les premières nations étaient sages. On réalise. Ne peut plus voir, ni du noir, car les fleurs en ont final. Moi, humain, te les laisser 
Curated by the people, for the people. CIUT 89.5 FM is the sound of your city. Hello and welcome to The More The Merrier with Donna G. Joining me is a longtime friend of The More The Merrier and a fantastic supporter of CIUT Radio. His name is Kirk Cooper and he is the founder of Film Market Access. And he's joining me today to talk about Can. 2023, which wrapped last month on May 27th. Kirk, it's been too long. Welcome. Hey, Donna. It hasn't been that long. I think I came on not so long ago to talk to you. I don't remember when. It, you, were wearing a, you were wearing a different hat. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. We were talking about the films that would be at Drift, which is yes. my programming gig. Yeah, exactly. Catch the Drift. Drift.ca. Yes. But now you're here to talk about um, your your own organization. Um, you're the independent uh, proprietor of Film Market Access, and uh, it was, you know, a regular thing for you to take delegates to Cannes. Um, kind of interrupted by COVID, so you went uh, this year with your delegates. And uh, how many delegates did you have this time for Cannes? Um, it was a total of five in total that went with me to Cannes, but one in particular is someone that helps me out a lot, and he's not really a delegate, but his company, um, he shares the responsibility of running the company with a partner, and that partner was the fourth person, Brian Quintero. So in a way, it felt like four companies and five producers. And were they all Canadian this time? Oh, yes, they were all Canadian. Um, they were stretched out across the country, um, three different provinces. So we had two from BC, um, and then we had uh, one from Ontario, and the other one was from Quebec. Now, most people think of Cannes with the movie stars and the films, but what people may not know is that Cannes is really an industry festival for uh, film professionals, the press, the majority of the films are not aimed at the public. They're off limits to the public. So this is huge for the film industry. So tell me how film market access fits into that industry so that our listeners um, are aware of, of the scope of CAN and the work that you do. Well, film market access was created years ago, and I can't remember how many years now. I'm guessing around 2004, maybe, was or 2005 was the first time I actually brought someone to Cannes. Mm -hmm. And that idea was a spark. And um, it came out of the fact that, you know, um, I was going for the first time. They were as well. Um, and we learned a lot from it. And from that experience, we thought, oh, my goodness, a lot of people could have could learn something out of just our mistakes and perhaps it would be easier for them not to make those mistakes. And that was just anyone at that time. But then years later, I focused on just producers because the landscape of Cannes is really about the business of, uh, you know, just getting your film made, learning trends that are happening, learning about the new technology that is out there. So it's really about a producer understanding all that resources that are available to them at a market and all the people that are available to them at that market. You have sales agents, you have distributors, you have other producers from around the world. If you want to do a co-production 
And you also have the ability to see um, the works of other people, such as um, the films that are in the festival, um, that are in competition and out of competition, and the films that are also didn't make the in competition, out of competition selection, but they were just as good and they made it to the marketplace where a lot of the um, the hub of the festival really comes and comes together. So it's really a place for producers to understand how they're going to formulate their next move um, in terms of relationships they can build at can and different markets. What are the names of the delegates that went with you this year? From BC, we have um, Krista Gurin uh, was from BC and she has our, she has produced a feature film called Reuniting. And it's completed, just completed um, in terms of editing and sound and music and everything for for Cannes just before we went. Um, and she was looking for a sales agent and she's looking for a distributor. I am not able to really say who, but she did get picked up for distribution in Canada, but I'm not able to say who yet. That's yes, fantastic um, news. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so that's embargoed. We yes. In this business, <laughs> you have to learn to keep secrets. <laughs> um, well, so who, yes. If you want to keep on working with these people, you do have to learn to keep secrets. Definitely. Um, and then um, we also have another producer, director. Um, he's more or less wants to be more of a director. And he's he came in the we're wearing the hat of a producer, and uh, he was looking to get a sales agent and also to bump up the gap financing that is needed for his oh incredible film. It's just out of this world because it's a sci-fi and it has earworms and it has corn cakes and it's it's just incredibly fantastic let's put it that way in terms of what you're going to see on screen when it's completed it's called lupe q and the galactic earworm so you know what you're going to get from that <laughs> it's just going to be a lot of fun in the movie theater very much in the cult-like state of cinema and what's and the name behind name, that oh sorry go ahead and his name is javier baldillo and um javier was also someone who came to BITS, which is a local Toronto film festival. They had a market there and he was also part of that, a small market, which is gonna grow, it's just the first year. And I think they did a wonderful job. And that's where I actually got the chance to meet him first. Okay. Um, and he has some good news as well. So after returning, he had put in a, uh, an application to Telephone Canada to get a percentage of money um, to help his film off off the budget, and he was able to get that um, approved. So when he came back, he was happy to know that a large percent of his budget is approved. So he just needs to get a little bit more, and hopefully those relationships he's built in can can help you to go further and get this finished. For the people who are listening, BITS stands for Blood in the Snow. And that's an annual uh, genre festival. So who else besides Javier and Krista were with you? And you mentioned that... Um... You're talking about Brian Quintero. So I'm going right. to get to Brian a little bit later. Okay. Um, Christina uh, Sa Saliba. I, I'm, I'm horrible at pronouncing names, so I hope she's going to forgive me if I screw that up. We never really said our last names a lot around each other, so... For that reason, I apologize. But Christina is from Quebec, and she's um, a young producer. But as as well, she has 
produced and, and got the support from many agencies in, in Quebec for her short film. At the moment, it is slipping my mind what the short film is, um, but the short film was completed. She was hoping to get into Not Short in Talent for Cannes. Unfortunately, it didn't make it, but she still went in any case. And I think that um, because it's a proof of concept, which means that it's something that she's hoping to build into a feature, she uh, was able to show that around and get some more support going for going going on into the future. And you mentioned that she applied to be in a certain section. What is the um, section? Oh. Okay, so there is. Um, how do I explain this? Um, the short film corner is perhaps one of the largest collection of short films um, curated. And the curation of that comes with Cannes, it's part of the market. But how that comes together is that um, Cannes has looked at every agencies around the world and everyone that does short films and say to them, can you send us your best? And by them sending their best, they look at the best and they will show that during Cannes, the second half of Cannes is when the short films um, filmmakers come together. So we don't see the short film filmmakers until at the second half of Cannes. Okay. And is her film called um, White Noise by any chance? Yes, that's it. Thank okay. You. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're good at IMDb, aren't you? <laughs> I, that's right. <laughs> And uh, her film actually is starring somebody that I know, Bahia Watson. So that's uh, that's fantastic. I hope she um, is able to um, to get that, uh, get the funding, get uh, that on a watch list somewhere. So that's Chris, Christine Saliba. And who else am I missing? Or is that everybody? And, no, that's not everyone. So now we come to um, Brian Quintero with okay. his partner, um, Denise Borden. And um, their company um, is called Der Mariachi. And um, Brian, as most people may know, is someone that I work with on his last film. It's a short film. And I produced that short film called Old Timers. So I've known Brian for a very long time. And it's not the first time Brian has ever been to Cannes. This will be his third trip to Cannes. And in fact, I probably wouldn't have ran the program this year if Brian didn't convince me that it was necessary to re- just give it, um, I don't know, give it another chance. <laughs> don't let the program die just because of the pandemic. Because right. during the pandemic, there is no festivals or markets that we could go to. And there's been a gap year. And I was like, gap years, I should say. And I was just thinking, well, maybe it's not needed anymore. But he convinced okay. me otherwise. Um, so how was it for you going back to Cannes post-pandemic? Um, collectively, I'm going to say that it was very high energy. Um, I think a lot of us were, we needed this. Um, CAN operated last year in 2022, but at a 50% 50, 50 capacity, I would think, 50, 60. So there was a lot less people in CAN last year. Mm -hmm. But this year, it just seems like everyone wanted to be there and everyone showed up. And by doing so, everyone came with a lot of energy open to just to 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 build upon what they've started well they were in the pandemic a lot of films were made in that time period that's what i've realized 
And for that reason, my other hat that I wear working at Raven Banner, I can see that on the sales side of things that a lot of sales were done um, from everyone that pretty much came. And you, there's a, there's a um, how do I say this? There's a sort of gauge I've learned over the years because I've been going to Cannes for like, I think 16 years or 17 years. I can't remember. <laughs> Stop counting. But um, one of the things that I've noticed in how to gauge if it's a successful can is if people leave early. That is why why is that? Why is that? Why is because it successful they came, if they leave early? They came, they did business, and business was good. And they, ah. they because you come to 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 do business with the people that you already built relationships with. And then once they come. And once they meet with you and all your meetings are done, you have no reasons to stick around. You don't really need to sort of start up new relationships because all the people that you have done business with was who you needed to do business with. And those relationships um, are profitable. Okay. So I can see how for the delegates that you've been taking to can over the years, um, it's a, a, a it can only be a positive relationship building thing for them to just to get the exposure and know how to navigate that world of the marche. Absolutely. I mean, um, I'm going to share a story. She's going to kill me. Krista is going to kill me. Um, But she and I had lunch because I usually do a catch up with them. Um, I'm not always with them. They have to do, do everything pretty much on their own. I've given them enough tools and I've helped them and given them the confidence to go out there and do what they need to do. So I'm not really on their projects. Let's be very clear because sometimes people think that just because I am working with an individual as a producer at the market, then I'm probably sitting on the project, taking some kind of credit. I am not. This is solely their project. So I usually typically meet with them for lunch or at a cocktail reception. I'll just check in and say how things go in and do you need any help? And um, Krista just, she was moved to tears because she says, if it wasn't for me giving her the tools that she needed, she didn't think she could do this. And it's it, for her, it was going so well that she cannot believe how many things were coming together, meetings that she needed to have, she had them and the, the support and encouragement that she's getting along the way. So that to me is priceless. And it's just one of the things that we try to do in terms of when you join FMA, go into the market. It's just preparing you for what could be very challenging and very stressful. And it has been in the past for many people. And, you know, that's why you're the industry professional that you are, Kirk. It's like you've been there, you've learned, and now you're sharing and you're the liaison. And, uh, you know... It, the film industry can be overwhelming. And I've had other delegates of yours um, say without you, they would have been lost. I remember, I can't remember the name of the person, but they said they went on their own. They were overwhelmed. And then they went with, you know, film market access and they had a more successful time because of what, of the tools that you gave them and the, you know, the support that you gave them. That's very important work that you're doing, Kirk. So um, I'm, very great. You're my friend, but I'm also very proud of you. Thank you. you know? That's very just, sweet for you to say that. Thank just, you. I just as an, that. Yeah. Just, in, just as an industry professional, it's like, you know what you're doing. 
and um, you have the personality to to match people and um, and you were you're passionate about film so um, very much yeah even even though when you go to Cannes you don't get a chance to see much right Uh, this is what I was going to say now that's the part that breaks my heart because I only saw one film in Cannes and if anyone who follows me, they probably saw that I posted that so early in the morning because I got up to see an eight o'clock film. And that's the only film that I could squeeze in because there was so much work to be done this time around. Yeah. What's the name of the film? Sleep. <laughs> I kid you not. I had that joke. It was a running joke with everyone when I said the night before, I'm going to go home and get some sleep because I'm getting up in the morning to see the film Sleep. And they said, really, you're going to get back to the apartment and get some sleep. That's not going to happen, which it didn't. I got back really late and I still had to get up early. And their joke was, you'll be sleeping in the film. (laughs) And did you? I did not. There you go. It was a good film. It so really you chose you chose correctly. You chose the right film in seeing sleep. Um, and seeing the film sleep. sleep yeah. Now, um, uh, what's Ken like? Is it beautiful? Is it chic? Is it all that we imagine it is? I'm going to give you the bad first before the good. Okay. So the bad is Ken is expensive. Well, yeah, I, I expect I expected that. Oh, oh no, way more expensive than you expect. Oh, okay. <laughs> Can is uber expensive. Um, let me give you an example. A hotel room during the festival would cost anywhere from 800 euro a night. Um, oh. That's a standard three and a half star hotel. Now, if you're talking about where the stars are staying, yeah, most no, people we, we won't even get there. Night. So um, that's just I, during the festival. I, I mean, know. That's, they hike everything up. So that 800, you know, euro room night, that really is a 400 euro a night room, you know, and yeah. it's just 50%. Everything is 50% more. So that's the bad part, the bad side or the part that I don't love and yeah. no one loves, yeah. but it's part, it comes to the, you know, the package. Yeah. Um, outside of that, Cannes is beautiful. I mean, absolutely stunning. You have um, a beautiful street called the Quisette. Uh, Everyone stroll down that street. That's where the cars come also bringing up the stars to the red carpet. Um, all the shops, which I can't afford to even look through the window because <laughs> when I look in the window, I'm like, why am I looking at this? I can't buy any of this stuff. <laughs> I'm, we're talking Dior. We're talking um, Chanel. We're talking about so, Mumu. Any of the big designers or designer right row. Saying, it's a designer row. Yeah. And in front of that designer row, as I said, the closet is this beautiful um, seaside and the beach. It's this gorgeous view. And so most of the places in Cannes are no higher than four, maybe five or six stories. So everywhere you are in Cannes, you pretty much can get a view of the ocean um, if you're lucky, if you're on a higher floor. But mostly they stop any construction that would be um, an eyesore. Mm -hmm. So even even the Carlton, which is one of the 
the the tallest hotel I think um on the main strip it just goes up to six floors or something yeah. like that six or seven floors yeah so you can get to see so um how far away did you have to stay um since obviously close the closer you get the more expensive it is and was it the same place that you've been going to for a while because I I know you uh tend to stay in some of your more familiar places yeah that is correct I usually do stay in the familiar places and places that I would get from my I would say the support of a realtor there (laughs) Yeah, I needed to have certain people on ground to help me, including someone who does our driving from the airport for us and someone who gets us the apartments and get the apartment clean and stuff like that. Um, I did not stay at the same location um, because this time I went as a part of Raven Banner and and also handling FMA business. So I stayed with a uh, Raven Banner team which was really close to the Carlton. They had a good location. And just five minutes away to get to the Pali, the festival by walking. Wow. Okay. So it was great for me. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Raven Banner. (laughs) Been going for over 10 years. So (laughs) it takes Um, a while to get a good spot there. And over the years, I've been always, you know, pushing further and further to towards, sorry, closer and closer and getting away from the, the further distance, I meant to say, mm-hmm. um, trying to get closer to the Palais and for our delegates. And this year, the delegates probably had one of the best location. I was able to get them right along the beach and about 10 minutes away from the Palais. Ooh, yeah, okay. So every morning they get up, they saw the beautiful ocean and yeah, nothing in their way. Okay. And was the weather good? The weather was very much a bit a bit of a mixed bag. Okay. You know, it's it's like I guess living anywhere that you're by the coast, you're going to get yeah. some days you get rain. Yeah. And uh, some days you get the threat of rain like, you know, overcast and the thought of rain is going to happen and then a downpour would happen and um then other days you get nice and sun and it's all day, you know. So, it's a mixed mixed bag. Okay. So um, tell people what you do at, at Raven Banner just uh, quickly so that they have the background. You've been on representing Raven Banner before, just but just quickly sum it up for them as to what you were doing for Raven Banner at Cannes. Um, so this year, well, I got hired on to Raven Banner in 2020, just before the pandemic hit. Um, and that was an awkward way to be introduced to the job I'm doing because my role is festival manager and there was no festival. There was no festival. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, things start to slowly open up virtually. So then I had to, it was a learning curve. I had to learn what that was going to be like in terms of relationships you have with the festival as a distributor and a sales agent. And in that sense of the word, I was inducted into that company for uh, a while, learning that. And then years later, I was able to go to Fantasia with them last year. So that was the first major thing that I went to. And then TIFF last year. And then, of course, we were in Cannes. And the reason for me being in Cannes is the relationships I have with festival help with the ability for us to get our titles, Raven Banner titles, 
around the world in festivals, which can help the um, the the efforts of getting something sold. Mm-hmm. And Raven Banner is uh, like a, a genre. It's an umbrella for genre uh, film. Yes, it's it's a genre Canadian company here in Toronto. Um, it is a primarily a sales company and a local distributor. And um, they also have, <laughs> might as well give another shout out to the Berserker Gang is a newly formed production company that they are, they have just created this year. And that also include one of the members, founding members of Berserker Gang and um, no other than Slash from Guns N' Roses. Wow. First, those who know who that is. Wow. <laughs> if you're a millennial or young, like, sorry, no, Gen Z, you would probably wouldn't know who that wow, is. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I've got nothing to do with it. That's all Michael, <laughs> James, and Andrew. They're the ones that run that company. <laughs> but bias, but you know, who will you buy a su- association? Let's say. Surely it was. You're and cool I by association. It was really cool because I had the opportunity to meet Slash too. So it's kind of cool. I went to dinner with him. So that was kind of cool. There you go. So how long were you actually in Cannes? It runs from the 16th to the 27th. Um, But how long were you there? I'm going to say probably nine days. I arrived on the 14th and I left on the 24th. Okay. Yeah. All right. And did the delegates leave as, um, as their, you know, goals were met or how long were they there individually? Um, typically, I like for them to arrive before everything starts and then leave because it, it's very expensive to stay there. So mm-hmm. there's no point in staying beyond one what you need. And I think about eight days is all you need in Canada, okay. eight, nine days. Um, and so they stayed for about eight, nine days. Okay. And yeah. uh, do you think you'll be signing up? Um, some delegates for next year's camp? Well, honestly, it's, it's, yeah, it's already began because while we're in Cannes, I'm getting um, emails and, and messages saying we'd like to come next year. <laughs> so I have a, quite a few people out there who are hoping to go to Cannes next year. Okay. You've come a long way, baby. <laughs> ah, thank you. So Kirk Cooper, of Film Market Access and Raven Banner. Uh, thank you. And Drift. Thank you and so Drift, much. Which, and by Drift. the way, can I just say one little thing about Of course. Drift? We are still accepting submissions and we'd like to see as many people send in their film as possible. Um, just go to the Film Freeway website, look, do a search for us. We're under Durham Region International Film Festival or even the acronym DRIF. So I look forward to seeing your films. Drift. Okay. All right. Kirk, thank you so much for joining me and doing this. It's um, it's a pleasure for me to to see the success that you've achieved over the years because I know how hard you work. And uh, so you definitely deserve the accolades. And people, if you are interested and lucky enough to be one of Kirk's delegates to go to Cannes or even, you know, submit your film to to Drift, then then please do. And uh, Kirk, thank you so much. And where can people find you on Instagram? What's the best way for them to to, to find you? Um, the best way to do a search for film market access 
Um, I think that's the same thing I have in terms of a handle for Instagram and Twitter. I'm on both. And I'm also on Facebook on the Film Market Access or Kirk Cooper. So I'm out there. Okay. Thank you so much, Kirk. And thank you, uh, Donna. And thank you for everything you do in terms of supporting the arts community here in Canada. My pleasure. CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stream us anytime at www.ciut.fm. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. On June 15th, the trailblazing British actor and politician Glenda Jackson died at the age of 87. She left a legacy that spans film, theater, television, and politics. She is well-beloved by millions of fans around the world. And one of them is joining me right now, my friend Gordon, who was a fan of Glenda Jackson. So, Gord, welcome to CIUT. And I also want to thank you for being a supporter of CIUT. Thank you so much and welcome. Thank you for having me. First of all, tell me why you're such a fan of this actress, Glenda Jackson. I really liked her. Um, I remember the first time I saw her in a film, it was called Hop, um, not Hopscotch, yeah, Hopscotch with Walter Matthau. And she played an old love interest. And I, I just thought, one, she was classy. She was very funny. And there's just, there just something about her that I was drawn to. There's, um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what it is, but there was just something about her that I really liked. And then um, after seeing that film, I started looking at, uh, you know, kind of seeing what else she did that I didn't know she had won two Oscars, uh, one for Woman in Love and the other for A Touch of Class. Uh, and then I started, you know, kind of looking at those films as well. And this was, I think Hopscotch was in 1980 or 81. Um, then she made house calls again with Walter Matthau. They kind of had a a thing going and making movies together. So it was it, it there was just something about her that I really enjoyed, uh, and I kind of followed her career from there. You loved her so much that you went to Broadway uh, to see her in King Lear. Can you describe for me what it was like to see her on stage? Oh yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, the funny thing, I'll, I'll tell you this before I, I talk about her performance. The theater that the the show was playing at King Lear is the Court Theater, and it was actually right next to the building of Fox News, where Fox News is housed in New York. So it was kind of funny that we walked by Fox News going to see a play with one of the biggest socialists. If, in, in in history and it was just i always thought that was kind of ironic that she, the theater that she was playing with and her last appearance on broadway was right next to the fox news building having said that i was just so excited to see her on stage um the idea of her playing king lear so doing the um you know doing the lear role uh it's it was sort of interesting to see how she would do it i i know she'd done it in uh, London as well on the West End and I was 
just I was just so excited. It was just it was such a almost surreal moment. It was really funny. You could feel that in the theater. Uh, we were at the first preview of the the play, and you could just feel the excitement of um, seeing her on stage. And even when the the lights went down, um, we were all waiting for her entrance. What was it like to see her in that iconic role? I know that you were, you know, looking forward to her and 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 thrilled to see her. But what was the acting like? I thought she did a really good job in it. She. I didn't have to, I didn't, you know, I, I saw Glenda Jackson, but I also saw Lear. I didn't, you know, it wasn't a a woman portraying uh, King Lear. It was King Lear there on stage. And she did such a wonderful performance. The All the, the wittiness that Lear had at the beginning of the play and then his slow deterioration, she just um, captured everything. And it was just... Every time she was on stage, I, you were just glued to her. Um, it, it was, you were just an on. We were actually sitting in front of um, people that were involved with the show because it was a preview. And they were mesmerized by it, even though they were trying to take notes. They were mesmerized by her performance. And you, you, you know, it was, it was just a, a, a stunning experience. Do you remember any other details about that performance of King Lear? Some of the things I do remember is because it was a, a first preview. I remember there was a, a dinner scene where um, they knocked over a candle off on the candle. It actually started to flame a bit. And um, she just kept on going with her performance. You could tell, you know, that did not phase her. The other actors grabbed the candelabra, but she just kept on going. And it was kind of an interesting production because uh, some of the other cast members one was um, an actress named Ruth Wilson and she was on the show Luther she was on a the American TV show the the affair and it was just kind of fun to see her and um, I completely forgot this but I I remember looking at the playbill uh, recently and um, Pedro Pascal was in it so it was just kind of funny to see you know some of these up-and-coming stars or uh, working along with this um, this wonderful actress, and it was it was just such a memorable performance. the The scene where she's raging against the the elements, um, it's it's still it's still just so powerful, and I just get chills thinking about it. What would you say is um, your favorite film performance of uh, Glenda Jackson? I mentioned you mentioned that you uh, recall a couple, but uh, which of her film performances is your favorite? I would say my favorite is probably Sunday Bloody Sunday, um, a movie she did. Um, I think it was 1974 with uh, Peter Firth, Murray Head. And Glenda Jackson and Peter uh, Firth play a married couple and they both fall in love with the same young man. And it's just the way the relationship uh, works where one moment he's with her, then he's with the husband. And, you know, it was just a, to me, her performance in that was just, um, it was subtle. Um, And that's what the one thing I always find about Glenda Jackson, her performances are subtle. Um, You're not you're watching the character. You're really not watching an actress act or an actor act. You're seeing a character on screen. And that's what I remember about that film. Plus um, it was one of the first 
gay films um, that I remember seeing in my teenage years. And uh, yeah, I'd never really seen anything like that, uh, like this film before. It was really interesting. You had, um, you know, couples sharing the same partner. You know, I know it was the early 70s. It was 1971. I uh, stand corrected. Um, but it was, um, it was just such an interesting film where, um, the whole thing about uh, the fluid sexuality of the uh, young man played by Murray Head. And it was, it was interesting to see the relationship between how he related to the two, two older characters, but also how their, the, the characters worked, how their marriage worked, how they loved each other, but they were kind of not really bored, but they were, they wanted something new. They wanted to experience something else. The film wasn't a big success in the United States. Why do you think it uh, stays in so many people's minds, um, even though it wasn't a big box office hit? I think there's a, a few reasons. One is the director, John Schlesinger. I mean, he does have, he has a cult, I shouldn't say a cult following, but there are people that, you know, really follow his work. Films like Midnight Cowboy, um, the marathon man. So I think there were, there are people that love his work. So that's kind of kept it, kept him, kept that film going. But I think it was just, um, it was such a different film for the time. It wasn't, um, you know, they, there was an American film called Bob Carroll and Ted and Alice where they, there were couples sharing and, you know, kind of a wild, you know, kind of wild, kind of a sex comedy. It was more of a comedy as opposed to a drama. Um, I think with Sunday Bloody Sunday, it could actually, um, I think things like that could have possibly happened in other people's lives. So it, the film was quite real. And I think that's why um, it stayed around. Plus the performances, Peter Finch um, and Glenda Jackson are just amazing. And um, it was sort of like seeing two great British actors kind of acting with each other and it was it was it was an it was a very you know kind of interesting film to see i think that's why it was it was different it had great performances and john schlesinger's kind of you know he has a bit of you know a bit of a following how did you feel when you when the news broke that glenda jackson had died how did you find out by the way um i was on uh facebook or no i was reading um yeah, it was on Facebook and I, I kind of clicked on something with the Guardian and I saw that Glenda Jackson had passed. I was, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I knew she was, um, you know, in her late eighties. Um, she, I know she hadn't been well. Uh, I know when she was on Broadway, um, during, uh, before King Lear, she was in a play called, um, Three Sisters. And she won a Tony for that. And uh, I knew she had, um, she wasn't well during that, per that run. So it wasn't a big surprise. It was just like anything when you see that there's a, an actor or singer, a celebrity that you really like, when they're gone, you just kind of go, oh, mm -hmm. damn, mm -hmm. another one. But, um, you know, I think she had a great career, both in her films, her stage work, television work. And also her political career, she, um, you know, she was the voice of the Labour Party for a while. And, you know, 
uh, was really supportive of the um, the working class and you know sort of regular people. So I think you know you add all that up together, and she she's just, in my opinion, just incredible. Well, you were probably one of the um, last few audiences that got to see her on Broadway in King Lear. And uh, Gordon, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us, your feelings about Glenda Jackson. And uh, and thanks again for supporting CIUT and The More the Merrier. Not a problem, Donna. I've been a fan and a listener for many years, so uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Un peu de voir, les sacs blasphématoires, contradictoires, discriminatoires. De la religion, je fais un bon. De quelques siècles, y a rien de bon. Qu'est royaume, compagnon, la guerre sainte virage, ravage, chevalier chrétien, image de carnage, contre guerriers morts, les plus sauvages. Croisade en hommage à sa foi et son courage. L'inquisition mène l'enquête, toujours enquête. Inquiète-toi, si t'as pas la même religion en tête, ta tête est mise à prix. On poursuit même les nantis. On fuit la France jusqu'aux États-Unis. 17e siècle, on colonise, impose l'église aux indigènes, histoire d'avoir la mainmise. On colombise les hérétiques, les fétichistes, les anémistes, devenaient tous monothéistes. Je tue pas les tiens, au nom de Dieu, la femme pas tout est frais. Au nom de Dieu, ne dis pas que c'est justice. Au nom de Dieu, Dieu le Père n'a pas commandé toute cette misère. Ne tue pas les tiens, au nom de Dieu, la femme pas tout est frais. Au nom de Dieu, ne dis pas que c'est justice. Au nom de Dieu, Dieu le Père n'a pas commandé toute cette misère. Je reprends au 20e siècle, ça nous concerne les mecs, c'est ainsi. On a gérissé la furie, la haine qui détruit On prie, on crie pour le prix de sa vie On fait fi du respect et a pris l'ennemi Fini et gorgé, on le fait pour son pays La Yougoslavie n'existe plus, serbe et croate S'entretue, musulmans, chrétiens, c'est le baltrap Jette un œil en Irlande, ça fout encore plus les glandes Catholiques et protestants comme si des cousins se plombent Qui a demandé ça Qui a dit tu es pour moi Qui s'est riche, porte parole de celui en qui chacun croit Des dégâts, des dégâts, la mafia religieuse existe bien Pire qu'une épidémie sueuse, je creuse comme une foreuse. Comprendre si la religion est foireuse, haineuse, hypocrite, manquieuse. Ne tue pas les tiens, au nom de Dieu, la femme pas tout est frais. Au nom de Dieu, ne dis pas que c'est justice. Au nom de Dieu, Dieu le Père n'a pas commandé toute cette misère. Ne tue pas les tiens, au nom de Dieu, la femme pas tout est frais. Au nom de Dieu, ne dis pas que c'est justice. Au nom de Dieu, Dieu le Père n'a pas commandé toute cette misère. Je crois en Dieu le Père tout Créateur du ciel et de la terre, ayant Jésus-Christ, son Fils unique, notre Seigneur, qui a été conçu du Saint-Esprit et né de la Vierge Marie. Mes souvenirs du catéchisme, je pensais que tout le monde s'aimait. À travers un seul Dieu, quel que soit le nom qu'on lui donnait, on nous enseignait qu'il fallait aimer son prochain. Ça voulait dire qu'il fallait d'abord qu'il soit chrétien. Je connaissais pas les autres religions, c'est pas ce qu'il voulait. Mais notre soumission est sur nos enfants, on baptiserait. Tu puis jouer, c'est comme avoir une carte d'adhérent. Plus t'en as, et plus tu en veux d'enterrant. Ma rancune sait qu'on a joué avec mes croyances. J'ai grandi, j'ai compris, je me suis rendu à l'évidence. La religion est une industrie d'hommes gérée par des hommes. Qui par des hommes, enseigné par des hommes. Pas les tiens, au nom de Dieu, la femme pas tout est frais. Au nom de Dieu, ne dis pas que c'est justice. Au nom de Dieu, Dieu le Père n'a pas commandé toute cette misère. Ne tue pas les 
tuning in to The More The Merrier with Donna G. If you want to reach me, my contact is at TMTM with Donna G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or you can go to www.ciut.fm, click on Sundays, 1 to 2 p.m. All my contact details are there, as well as the link to my podcast. Thank you to my guest, Kirk Cooper of Film Market Access for joining me today. And thank you so much to Gord for sharing his reaction to the recent passing of Glenda Jackson. Music on today's show, Malaika Tirolien, and that was Rise. Then you heard Au Nom de Dieu by Lady Lestie, followed by Dead Happiness by Lal, and leaving you now with Eliana Cuevas and Canaima. I hope you enjoyed the show. See you next week. Bye-bye. Este 